Welcome to We Write Songs, a podcast for all songwriters. Whether you're a well-established working songwriter or just about to write your very first song. I'm Celine Ellis. And I'm Tara Henton. Hello and welcome back to the We Write Songs podcast. Tara and I are here today and we're going to be talking all about music theory and the knowledge that goes along with that and whether we think it's needed for songwriters. Yes, we are. And we come at this from slightly different places, Celine. Although I do think we meet in the middle in kind of the same place anyway. Mm. Definitely we meet in the... I mean, I've got no formal music training. I am very much a learn from ear person. I can't read music. Um, I can just about understand a guitar tablature diagram to work out something like that. But I am right... the chord letters on a piece of paper above the words person. Yeah, but I mean, that is music knowledge. You're right. You're it being is. very dismissive about it, but that is actually music knowledge. Um, so like you, I, I do find my happy place with music is playing by ear. Um, even before I started formal music training, I was one of these kids that would just sit down you know, on a piano and just work out songs by ear. I remember showing up my first piano lesson and I think my teacher said, oh, do you know how to play anything? And I sat down and started playing that little da 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 like, you know, six years old on the piano. So she worked out I could play something already. But yeah, so playing by ear is kind of my happy place. But on top of that, I do know how to read music. I went to, you know, I, I did formal lessons through all my childhood. I went to university and studied music. So yeah, we do definitely kind of approach it from different places. But like you, I I enjoy experimenting with music as well. Mm-hmm. And I, just because I have a bit of music, formal music education, I certainly don't think that that puts me in a, a place that's drastically different than other songwriters. I just have a little bit, you know, different different tools in my, my toolbox maybe than some That's people. a good way of putting it, actually. So you don't, do you find it, you gain any advantage? I suppose you can't really decide because you don't know what it's like without it, do you? (laughs) Yeah, well, there is that to it, yeah. But yeah, it's going to be interesting, I think, to kind of discuss this and and see if if we can see any advantages of of music theory knowledge uh, versus just being someone who's open for experimentation and and trying to see where it's going. So, yeah. I mean, I I do find that for me, um, I have to work very hard sometimes to shut it off. Um, like if I'm, if I'm listening to a piece of music and the worst is if you're, you know, you're in a relaxation kind of, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, you're having a lovely massage or something and they put on some relaxation music that has like a real kind of tonal relationship going on. I'm laying there on the massage table and I'm analyzing the music. (laughs) It's quite painful. Okay. Um, so it can be a little bit distracting sometimes. Um, but I think it's also knowledge is power and, you know, I, I do think sometimes it helps me to approach a writing situation very deliberately, like thinking about, you know, wanting to create a certain atmosphere or, you know, tension okay. or things yeah. like that. And like you, you kind of know how to how to work the goods <laughs> to, to, to get that, you know. So you, you're kind of coming at it from a point where you're like, oh, the Mixolydian mode would suit this kind of vibe I'm trying to create very well. Some, sometimes, like sometimes because um, using different modes lends you to using different sets of chords that are associated mm-hmm. with that, that, you know, for lack of, you know, a mode, some people would refer to it as a scale, but, you know, modes are generally referred to as such. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, but sometimes I don't do it deliberately. I just know that when you're you're hitting a flat five or not a flat five, a flat seven chord, um, 
the, the reason why that works is because you're actually using a different mode that would use that note to build the chord on. Um, but people, people intellectualize it in different ways. They talk about just borrowing chords and things like mm -hmm. that. And I don't actually think it makes a difference knowing what the name of it is. It's just knowing how it affects the listener and how to use yeah. it as a tool to communicate what you're trying to do as a songwriter. And see, I know the names of the modes. I've got no idea what what it means and what they are, though. And I know um, yeah, the Lydian mode is probably one of the the more standard ones. I know like a pentatonic scale is highly used for blues and lead guitar. Yeah, well, pent pentatonic scales are a little different. Thing. I mean, actually, there's uh, there's kind of this quote unquote standard pentatonic scales that people you know in Western art music associate with. But if you if you Google just scales, like there are hundred thousands of of scales that you can mess around mm. with. And it's actually a really nice challenge to try writing something with, as all a scale is, is just a set of notes, right? So as okay. like a, as an artist, if you think about it, it's kind of like the colors that you have on your palette. Maybe that's not the best analogy, but it's just, it's like your starting point of what notes you're going to use. Maybe mm -hmm. more like Lego blocks. That might be a better analogy. Okay. It's like, these are, these are the bits that you have that you can work with now come up with combinations of how you can use them next to each other to, you know, create your your melodies, yeah. basically. Um, but yeah, I've written in some sort of you know, Middle Eastern scales before, things like that. And they're, they're just very different to write in because of the tension and release that they have between the notes. And that's why, yeah, some of the kind of uh, Middle Eastern or uh, Arabic type music has got that different sound. Well, then you get into quarter tones and all sorts of things like that, which is just blows my mind. <laughs> To, to try to incorporate that. They've got a different sound to them to mess compared to Western music, which yeah. is... Well, because the way that we hear music is is culturally, um, like, you know, we're, we're, we're hearing it. We've been conditioned to hear music in a certain way, mm. um, which, which is very interesting when you start unpicking that. Definitely. Do you feel then that having that music theory knowledge for you brings something extra to the songwriting journey the songwriting kind of situation well I think it can um whether better I don't, I'm not saying it's better but yes yeah, certainly I think it's just a maybe a different starting point um and, and I think you know we were talking before this kind of analogy of it's almost like a chef in a kitchen kind of thing you know and, and a, a chef that has that skill knows what ingredients work well together and some oh, of that's definitely. from experience but some of that is from learning how certain things rest on the palate and, you know, what you need to kind of bring out things. And I think sometimes having a, a knowledge of aspects of music theory, you, you write something and it's not really popping and you're trying to work out how to get it to pop and, and having, having all of those kind of things at your disposal and knowing how to harness the power of them, um, which I don't always know, but sometimes through yeah. the experimentation, then you kind of go, oh yes, that's, that thing, that would work really well here, you know. So I, I don't know if I've really answered your question, but I think it, it certainly just gives you um, some other things that you can draw on. Which is really interesting for me because, like I said, I, I don't have that to draw on. I am, I know what chords sound good together, but if I, I, I wrote something recently where I went from a C down to a C minor just to round off uh, a, a kind of chorus and then back into the verse, and it's like, well, there's no C minor in in chord in in my in my key. Mm. Where did that come? And it was just to kind of change things up a little bit, and it sounded nice. And that's what I do. It's all based on 
does it sound nice? Yeah, but I mean, ultimately, is that not the ultimate test? I mean, we are we are creating a medium of art that is for the ears. So, if, you know, that that's kind of the ultimate test, really. If it lands on your ears a certain way and is pleasing to you or creates the, yeah. the feeling that you're after, well, then you've done your job. I, like, um, I, I guess the analogy I would use there, it's, it's like being fluent in Spanish versus can get by when I go on holiday to Spain Spanish. That's a good analogy. Yeah. May, I mean, maybe that's what it brings to it. It's like a depth of understanding rather than... A um, lack of understanding. I don't have yeah. a lack of understanding. I just don't have that depth of understanding like someone like yourself might have. Uh, and the other analogy I would use is, okay, so obviously living near London, so or any any big city where you where you have like your know, public transport, where you, you're on a, a tube or some sort of subway, right? You develop a very compartmentalized understanding of the geography of that city. Mm-hmm. You know, like you know how to get around that place <laughs> because you pop up in that tube station, then you go back down, then you go somewhere else. And you have a bit of understanding of how to get around there, but what you can't see is the connection of everything between them. Oh, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. You know, and I think yeah. sometimes maybe that's what it is. Like when when you're you're learning songwriting, maybe you haven't got the formal training, but you learn your way around the genre and you learn mm-hmm. your way around what you do but maybe not seeing the connections to other things in a way where it could really heighten what you're doing. I, I don't yeah. know. I'd be interested in our listeners, what their take is on this, but we're trying to come up with all these analogies of. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so far we're in a kitchen and now we're on the tube. tube. <laughs> yeah. I like what we're doing here. We get around Celine. We'll go hit a good, a good uh, Michelin star restaurant while we're there. This is a good kind of discussion, I think, because we're coming from two different points of view, but also we're not masters of this. We don't, we're not kind of uh, experts in this field. Um, we're songwriters and we both are at the same point where, you know, I would suggest our songwriting is of a similar standard, a similar kind of approach, a similar output. And uh, we're coming at it from different points of view, but we're, the, the goal, the ultimate kind of end point is the same. Yeah. Does it make my songs better than your songs or, or vice versa? No. At the end of the day, we're writing songs. And it's like you said at the beginning, actually, it's the stuff, the the tools in our toolbox that we can draw upon while we're in the process of writing a song. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I, you know, I have a, a, a bit of a background with, with classical music and, and other styles of music as well. And, you know, but the number of pop songs that, you know, if you actually Google it and look it up, number of pop songs that actually... You know, because obviously the beauty of, of classical music, certainly, mm-hmm. you know, before a certain date is public domain, right? That's so a whole other podcast. A whole that, other podcast, yeah, but that. <laughs> having that background in the music theory, of, you know, bringing it back to what we're talking mm. about, you know, because part of my formal training was going through, you know, classical music from, from all the different eras and analyzing it, then you kind of think, well, actually, you could quite easily take that and it, it just gives you some more building mm-hmm. blocks to to put into your, you know, kind of modern songwriting. Absolutely. The chord change that I kind of mentioned earlier, that I didn't know what it meant that I had done to mm. achieve that, but it sounded nice. I'm almost certain that I heard it in another song somewhere and went, oh, I might try that. That sounds really good. Yeah, why not? Or, or while I was learning a song, I went, oh, that's a bit different, but that sounds nice. So, yeah, that's kind of a... Best like, way of learning. Best but, way of learning. But that's that's what I do a lot of. I do things because I've heard someone else do it or most of the time 
I do them by accident. Yeah. I mean, how many times have you and I had a Zoom conversation and I've said to you, right, Tara, listen to this and tell me what I've done here. Or Tara, listen to this. What 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 time signature, time signature am I signature in? Is this is it three four six eight? And then you went, hmm, no, I think you're in nine eight, Selena. I'm like nine eight. How have I managed to even do that? Well, quite easily, <laughs> quite easily apparently. To nine in groups of three. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I didn't count at all. I just played. There was no kind of... I can't remember. You and I were at a gig, weren't we? And someone was playing and you're like, what time signature is that? I think we worked out it was like 10, 8 or something like that. Oh, yeah. And you looked at me like, how did you... <laughs> did Actually, I, in, in that I, I said to you, God, this sounds like a different time signature. And you just went, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I'm counting 11, 8. And I was like, what? Oh, yeah. it was, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a really, like, quite an odd bod yeah. But one. it sounded yeah. so... But I could tell that it was different. It wasn't a standard 4-4 yeah. or whatever. <laughs> But the thing is, like, even that is quite, sub- not subjective, because obviously, I mean, you feel the pulse a certain way, but it could be 11-8, or you could be doing 6-8 with a measure of 5-8 coming after it. You know, it all depends how you intellectualize it, but that's the difference between how you feel it and how you write it down. Um, and I think as long as everybody who's playing the music understands where, okay. the, where the main downbeats yeah. are, then you're fine, <laughs> you know. But I think... You, the way that you can do that, I find fascinating. But would I sit down and go, I'm going to write a song in 11.8? Probably not. Well, that that's but that's the difference, isn't it? It's like, okay, do you deliberately sit down and write a song in that time signature? Or do you sit down and write a song and you feel as though you want to create some sort of a mm-hmm. shift, which is, prime example, um, p- Pink, uh, uh, song... Walk Me Home. Okay. Changes time signature. It shifts very subtly all over the place. But if you actually try to count your way through it, you can hear what's going on there. She didn't sit down to do that on purpose. It was just the way the song needed that to frame it the right way. Or Hey Ya by Outkast is another one. Is it? It's got time signature shifts in it. Yeah. So now now you're going to... Do we need to pause recording so you can go have a listen to that? (laughs) I'm pretty sure there's loads of things out there that have got kind of changes in time signatures that... I've probably yeah. noticed, but didn't know what, what was actually happening. Maybe until I saw the sheet yeah. music or actually physically analysed them. But we mentioned last last podcast, didn't we, in our um, top five uh, songwriting habits for a healthy songwriter, uh, about analysing, listening to music and trying to work out stuff. And maybe this is something that I need to actually do more of. And I think it's twofold. Yeah, and it's it's working out, oh, that was different what was different about it and then i think the the most important thing is to then think but why did they do that how would the song be different mm, if they wouldn't yeah. have done that why did they feel the need to do that how did it actually help the song to come across the way they wanted it to you know is it that sense of it just needed an extra beat or two for a syllable to to fit in to, you know was it lyrically driven was it something more um, like about the concept of the song where they wanted to create that kind of cutting off and getting straight to another yeah. section or drawing something out to give you time to soak in what they'd said, you know. Um, I think there's different reasons why you would do things like that. And it's not just to be geeky and say that you did it. Oh, I'm pretty, pretty sure <laughs> there are people out there that do those kind of things just to be geeky. Oh, yeah, I do sometimes, but not like not generally. I, I've, I've heard music that's in polyrhythm where the bass guitar's playing a different rhythm to the drummer. And it's like, 
it sounds like you mentioned dissonance is a good word to kind of it there's just something different going on in the background there that's normally completely in well, tune and in time yeah because it's got this polyrhythm yeah. thing where you've got like this this the times would be fighting against yeah. each other kind of pulling yeah but the, you can use like you said yeah. use that to build tension or release tension and it's, it's kind of a tool again it's a tool mm. yeah definitely. so I, I think we're kind of erring on the side of actually yeah the the benefit of music theory classical training etc does add to the songwriter's toolbox well I, I certainly don't think it detracts from it um you know it's, it's not necessary but it's useful I think would be my my take on it um and yeah I think in, in another thing for me is I find that it's like coming onto the communication side of it like if you're if you're writing on your own all the time and you're not having to communicate that to anybody, mm-hmm. that's fine. The minute you're in a co-writing situation or a studio situation and you you need to be able to actually explain what you've done, having the vocabulary to to talk about the chord progression, talk about you know how you want things to yeah. be and to have that vocabulary, I think it can be quite useful. Definitely, <laughs> especially like for example, um, I. I, I record in a studio with a, a couple of session musicians and producers and I write songs on the guitar with a capo quite a lot. So if I say to them, no, no shame, no. I'm, a, I'm a capo girl. But if I say to them, I'm, I'm playing <laughs> G, C and D, like capo third. Or if I say to them, OK, I'm in the key of E and it's a one, four, five. They're going to understand what I'm doing a lot easier than me having to translate those chords from what I'm playing with a cuppa. Yeah. But but even what you said they're saying being able like okay, you might not realize it, but you have quite a bit of theory knowledge if you understand the idea of how to use a number system to describe your chord progression. So not just saying, you know, I'm playing a G and then I'm playing a C mm. and I'm playing a D, because that's where it gets complicated if then all of a sudden your vocalist says, Well, I can't do that key. Mm. <laughs> can you can you take it up a tone? And you're like, Gah, now I have to you know, try to transpose this. And, you know, if you're only using a one, four, five chord, it's not that hard to transpose. But if it's a more complicated chord progression, it's so much easier to think in numbers. At least I yeah, think Yeah, definitely. It is. And it's only something I've learned um, since I've been recording with these guys in the studio. Because like you said, I never really had to communicate that kind of stuff to other people before. Or certainly if I did, I wasn't doing it very well. But now I find it's so much easier to communicate with these guys to kind of tell them the key and then the chord sequence in, in, in the Roman numerals from that key. Yeah. Um, but also that, that translates to when you're mixing your songs because having to understand that frequency spectrum, I mean, I, I know there is a frequency spectrum and where things should sit on the frequency spectrum, but that becomes that whole sound theory knowledge then yeah and and I have to admit like that is kind of where my formal music education has a rather large black hole because I didn't do any um any of my my degree Mm. to do with sound production um and I actually kind of wish that I would have done um it just wasn't you know it wasn't really where I was at and it wasn't part of the program that I was in but I I find if I'm trying to communicate with a producer and say Something isn't right. I find it really difficult right. to articulate sometimes in in vocabulary that I'm happy with. Anyway, I can say, oh, you know, this part sounds a bit 
tinny yeah. or sounds a bit whatever. But to say you need to, you know, could you carve out some frequency from such and such a range? My uh, my ears aren't fine tuned enough for that. I need to. That's something where I need to. Oh, and to do you know work what on. though? That's, that's something I'm interested in learning. That's kind of uh, it. Kind of moves on from beyond the songwriting process, I think. But that's why we get the producers in. You know, I, I'm I'm a big believer in if you do absolutely everything yourself then it does rely on you having so many strings to your bow. Working with other people, from songwriting to producing to session musicians, it brings something else to the whole thing. The whole sound, the whole process of songwriting and getting it recorded, even just to the demo stage, ready for you to pitch it to somebody else. It does make a big difference. And having different people with different skill sets coming on board does mean that you're yeah. you're bringing more skill, more knowledge. Definitely. I, I, yeah, but I think what I was kind of meaning more was trying to explain to other people how you're hearing your song mm-hmm. and maybe not feeling like you have the vocabulary to communicate that clearly. Because that's, you know, I mean, maybe I'm going more into territory of where you would be um, as an mm. artist releasing. But certainly if you're a songwriter and you're preparing a song to be released you know, for, for sync opportunities and things like that, you're responsible for that mm-hmm. demo, you know, even if you're not the one singing on it. So to be able to articulate your vision for that song right to the end of the process. Yeah. Um, so it's it doesn't stop just with the songwriting. Oh, most definitely. And, you know, you yeah. could also be a lyricist and having no music knowledge let alone theory knowledge and trying to explain how you heard it in your head to the musicians who are trying to put it to music for you yeah the communication side of it is quite an important thing in the whole process definitely i'll tell you what we're going to need to do tara we're going to need to drop some links aren't we in the show notes here to kind of cover some of the uh specific skills that we've mentioned throughout this podcast i think i think i'm going to put your name under that in our list of jobs to do yes no that's fine i can get some links together um yeah we're trying to think what we talked about we talked about modes so i'll see if i can find something about modes put that in there something that we had on our our list to discuss i don't think we have discussed i think we we i was we were geeking out a little (laughs) bit before we hit the record button and uh talking about notation versus not notation which was something else that we discussed oh definitely and you know I you know I know how to notate music I know how to read music and you know there's often that discussion you know do you have to be able to read and write music in order to compose well I think it depends on the type of music that you're composing okay certainly um I think you know if you're intending your music to be orchestrated or you know anything like that then certainly you need to have some understanding of that whether you're relying on software to support you with that or whether you're able but in in terms of songwriting I don't often write on stave like you know write yeah. on actual notation but um what I do sometimes and this is where Celine was like <laughs> how do you do that <laughs> I will if I'm writing out lyrics and if I can hear a rhythm and certain melody and I don't have anything to hand to record it I will write out like just blank notation of the rhythm on top of it you know reasonable facsimile of what I'm hearing where the long sounds and the short sounds are and then I'll write out um solfege syllables um and that kind of comes from my background conducting choirs and things like that where I I, I often teach children how to sing using solfege um so I'll write out you know da 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 and I'll write out like you know so do me kind of idea above it because I can hear the melody that was the bit where oh, it just blows my brain the fact that you can do you that geek. I love it <laughs> <laughs> but it's 
again, it's just, you know, it's using kind of everything from my background in a way where it actually does serve my songwriting a bit because I I, ha- I can mm. write out just really basic um, rhythm and melody ideas very quickly, even if I don't have um, staff paper. And do you know what? I think you just hit the nail on the head there. It's It's actually, yeah, what you need to achieve what you are aiming to achieve and in the most efficient way of doing so um to get get the idea down to get the song written to get it sent off to your producers or to session musicians and communicate it and i think that just sums up everything we've just mentioned all in a one of there tara it's almost like we planned it yeah it's almost like (laughs) we did um and I think just kind of linking back to um, our very first thing that we we put on for the podcast, we had the trailer. And I think you and I had gotten to the analogy about um, a GPS kind of idea. Um, sorry for for anyone listening from America, sort of like a sat nav kind of thing. Uh, GPS is kind of what they refer to it as in North America. Um, but I said, you know, when you're driving around your hometown, being you know where you're comfortable with your songwriting, you don't use mm-hmm. that. Like you don't need, you don't know the street names. You know where you're going. You don't really need it. When it becomes important is when you're trying to tell someone else where they have to go, right? Because all, all of a sudden you need those street names because otherwise you can't tell them yeah. where they need, where they or need to go. Or whether you want to go on a, um, a new journey, you need to have some kind of uh, guide, some some assistance with that. Yeah, that's to it. Put, draw on yeah. another, something else to kind of get you to where you want to be. Absolutely. Oh, you're the queen of analogies today, Tara. Ah, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But hopefully, you know, we've kind of uh, touched on some points that will be interesting for some people to have a listen to, to to decide if they want to kind of explore some uh, classical music training or some music theory training to add another tool to their songwriting toolbox. Yeah, and if there's anyone out there, I, please feel free to reach out. I run an online music teaching studio, so I'm I do lots of different things. But I work with songwriters. I work with people who just want to learn to play piano, ukulele, get geeky, and talk about music theory. That's my thing. <laughs> I think I need to have so. a lesson in this sofas. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get you booked in, Celine. Shall I? Lovely. Thanks very much for joining us once again, and we'll see you in the next one. Bye, everyone. <laughs>